You're listening to the Vocal Fry Podcast, your weekly dash of voice science, pedagogy, and pop culture. Coming to you from your semi-occluded vocal tract, have you practiced today? Well, on a better note, Vocal Fam, um, we are here with, um, as I was saying earlier, and, and you're not going to hear that, but as I was saying earlier, my <laughs> favorite voice scientists, sort of in the in the up and coming generation, the generation that is currently pursuing their life's work right now, sort of the post Sundberg Tietze Miller generation. Uh, Christian Herbst is with us here on Vocal Fry today. Dr. Herbst, welcome to Vocal Fry. Hi, yes. hi. It's a pleasure being with you. Um, yeah. We're you, definitely excited. <laughs> uh, as Sarah can tell you, um, mm-hmm. I tout your work as much as anyone's, and I've made her read yeah. it. <laughs> oh, yeah. Is- it was It was definitely one of the first things that when I started really getting into vocal pedagogy, like my junior year, he was like, hey, you know, if this is something you're really interested in, you should you should read this and gave me one of your articles. So what definitely something. If I may ask uh, glottal, your one on, it was one of your first ones on glottal configurations. Oh yeah. 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 Yes. We reference it all the time. I, I may have oh, actually yeah. had her read like the original, like 2011 re- publication first. You had me read that one first, but then when we, when I took acoustics in grad, I think you had moved on to, oh gosh, is it, I want to say it's 20, is it 2014? Did I make that article, up? Yeah. Yeah. That one. So a little more compact. Um, yeah, yeah. That I, I think it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a uh, uh, reprise of, of the original paper for mm-hmm. Journal of Singing, and and I can I can tell you something about this because uh, there is a cool story behind it, because that was a question that was nagging me as a singing teacher, uh, okay. in in the 90s actually. Oh wow! Uh, already, and and I kind of asked that question because I thought, hey, I, I've, I've been taught there's two registers and hey, I can I can produce four different kinds of sounds in my throat. It feels that they come from my throat. So so what's this all about? And and uh, nobody could answer actually. And mm-hmm. in the end, I ended up doing the research myself with with the help of Jan Schwetz, my supervisor in Olomutz from the Czech Republic, who I would say uh, is, well, he's, he's a wonderful guy on, on so many yeah. levels. A legend and as well. If um, Nick, if I may say, so you mentioned the post uh, uh, Sundberg Tietze Miller generation. I, I think we're only in the post Miller generation now. Yeah, of That's, course. I of think course. A distinction no, of course. We should, of course. We should of course. be doing. Uh, so I apologize. For, I was just for thinking of re- roughly the same age range. Not that anyone was gone. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, 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 yeah. 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 But but I think. Mm-hmm. Given given recent events, that's yes. I think very yeah. fair to say, and 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 uh, yeah, I mean particularly Johan Sundberg is is churning out oh, one paper after the other, no so, doubt. Uh, it's and and made his last for many years. Uh, Indeed, I, I would mm-hmm. say. It. Uh, and um, the other thing is, if there is anyone who who would could assume a leadership role, I think it would be people like uh, Ron Scherer yeah. and also particularly uh, Jan Jan yes. Schwitz. He's, I think, one of the greatest, one of the most modest, mo- most brilliant uh, contributors to our field. He was people the first. Don't know him. 
He was the first so person I ever saw issue. present, Sorry. I think, on uh, video commography. He was the first person I remember presenting on that. Some of yeah, some... well, he invented the thing. Right. So it was, it was his it. idea. Yeah, <laughs> it was his idea all along. No, but he's also he's very insightful. Apart from, well, video commography is his thing, of course, but uh, he made so many super cool contributions. Absolutely. Uh, he's also a singer, by the way. Yeah, so, I've never, I've, I've never heard either of you sing. Um, I would love to sometime. Yeah, we tend to be very private. No, Jan actually <laughs> has a web page now. Check out Nochnikolny in in Czech. Oh, okay, it, I will. It's supposed to be a, a night bike or something. <laughs> oh, definitely, we'll check that That'd out. Cool, That's great. Cool songs. Yeah. Um. So, how did you get sort of on this road to your career that you currently have? I mean, I know you were a singer. You do, you know, you know, singing, singing, teaching. How did you get? To where you are like well you know how does you know some some of the some of our audience may be like how in the world does anyone ever get to sort of be a christian herbst or a johan sundberg or a, or jan svetch anybody yeah uh well my first my first wish for a profession was for a profession was papageno uh, <laughs> when i was six so uh, and and then i went into a boys choir and then then i had the urgent wish to to study singing and become a singer even though my parents uh, thought no it's not a good idea and some <laughs> other people i realized in my vicinity also didn't think so because they said ah nah christian you shouldn't sing you should do something different yeah. nevertheless i was stubborn i enrolled uh so, so opera singing, I did this for one and a half years and seriously found out, no, I'm not built for this. I'm not cut out for yeah. this. So with a few detours, I studied law, for instance, for some point in my life, but <laughs> that's, that's another life. Uh, I went back to vocal pedagogy and, um, and then some, somehow I, I already taught a little bit on the side and then I, I finished vocal ped. And, and I got more interested in that. And I was, I realized I want to know more about this, about, and it wasn't clear then that to me that voice science even existed. Right. So that was before the turn of the century, uh, the millennium actually. So in, I think one big huge turning point was in, uh, uh, 1999, 2000, I was at Karma, Stanford University, so that's the computer center in research and music and acoustics. Mm -hmm. I, I learned a little bit about uh, digital signal processing and, and these kinds of things. I, I was able, I have to say, to program from a very early day, and that features heavily in what I do today. So I can only okay. encourage everyone out there, learn to program computers. I was I was lucky. I when I was a kid, I had a computer, but there were were no games. That was <laughs> 1985. I was a teenager. 1984, I think I got my first computer, and for two years we couldn't even get like like uh, there were no discs. Right. So, so 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 things were stored on cassettes. So they called them data sets, but <laughs> even those were not available. There were also no uh, no uh, channels where you could could actually uh, type uh, C computer code and type it into your computer. There was right. nothing. So I had to learn how to program. So I programmed a few <laughs> computer games. Games, oh, not good ones. <laughs> or else you might I, be in a different profession, uh, currently yes. making uh, unicorns fly or something. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, right, not right, right. Yeah. <laughs> no, but 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 really, I mean, this is just a this is just yeah. an anecdote. Uh, uh, so I just hacked away as a kid, but that was cool, and that stayed with me ever since. And that was already helpful uh, in Stanford, where I was a visiting researcher at the turn of the mm-hmm. millennium. And then the year after that, I did Ingo's Summer Bucology Institute, sure. the second edition. And sure. also, this is something I can heavily recommend to everyone uh, who might be interested. That's I, I know it costs a lot of money, particularly for if you, if you are from overseas, you have to pay the flight, you have to pay uh, the, the, the tuition, tuition. And, and the accommodation. So, yeah. but it totally paid off on I so know. many levels. It's the cost that has prevented me from doing that. It's it's on yeah. my bucket list very much, and and it's just a it's just a cost factor for me. Yeah, uh, I, actually, I did only the first two parts because I thought, okay, teaching how to sing, uh, I could save on that. Not not that I couldn't learn from these guys. It was Oren Brown at, at that time, mm-hmm. and a fantastic guy, and I, I was really sad I had to miss this. Sure. But I just couldn't afford it. But but it it got me going and. And then uh, enter uh, Groningen Voice Research Lab. In 2002, a colleague of mine dragged me to this conference there. It was Advances in Quantitative Laryngology. And I was sitting there and I I thought, so it's all about high-speed imaging was coming up and and, and, and all sorts of things. And I was sitting there and I was saying, oh my God, I I understand maybe 5% of what they are talking about. Wow. But this is so cool. I need to know more. So, so uh, and, and, and that kind of, and the next year was the first pass uh, physiology and acoustics of the singing voice in Groningen right. also, organized yep. by Don Miller and Hans Kutte. Yep. And I would say, if you think of, if you, if you talk about, or at least in my book, if you talk about accomplishments to the voice world, if you mention Don Miller. You have to mention Hans. And his fantastic, his, his, his awesome and fantastic contributions and his energy to everything. You should also mention Harm Skutte, who was his partner then, and, and they did most of the, the stuff together. They did fantastically cool research in the 80s and 90s, and and that started to become visible to me, actually in that pass uh, uh, in 2003, and, and I thought, hey, this is cool. Uh, yeah. I want to know more about this. And and, and hey, here, here, so you ask, how did I get into this? And, and well, uh, from then it was just, uh, it, it was driven by my curiosity, and now I could go to a conference and understand 40% of what people talk about. Isn't that cool? So, yeah. and I'm not kidding you. <laughs> That seems right. That that's that that seems like the right progression. I remember the first time I went to Voice Foundation as a young doctoral student, and I was like, "Yeah, I probably understand ten percent of this." <laughs> Scale that on the, a very very real level. Yeah, Sarah, you were at Voice Foundation for the first time last spring. <laughs> Just half the time I'm listening, I'm like, "Okay, okay, okay, I understand." You know, five ten percent of this. I'm gonna, I'm gonna go Google a lot of stuff afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Just you know, more to learn, more to learn. <laughs> And, and I think what we should encourage people uh, to do is actually ask questions, ask the dumb questions or the supposedly or seemingly dumb questions because they are typically not dumb at all. Right. So, but if you if you sit there and you're you're an, like an upcoming young student or or, or 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 
on, on that on that range and you think oh I know nothing and they all know everything and I don't dare uh, asking a question that's wrong because I think you have a uh, you should have an expe uh, expectation so if somebody is giving a talk unless this is a super specialized conference yes of mm -hmm. course if, if this is uh, then of course they don't have to explain the basics but uh, uh, even in in an advanced talk you should somehow be able to formulate things in a way that people at least intuitively get what they are talking about i, I agree think, i think you have to write to and if you don't get it you should you should raise your hand and and ask questions i think that's particularly true as most scientific fields have become more interdisciplinary i mean you know we all can't be subspecialists of subspecialists of a subspecialty i mean and so when we are presenting sort of particularly in these more interdisciplinary moments i i think that's a i think that's a great word for us all to consider anytime we're presenting our work um so, you know, obviously, when you tackled glottal configurations, you were tackling, I, I always used to call, I'll, I'll say years ago, I used to call registration sort of like the biggest minefield in all of our work in voice pedagogy. Um, you know, were you at all worried about the idea of tackling human voice registration when you started that work? <sighs> No, I, I was really, it was curiosity that drove me, that drove me on. Curiosity on the one hand and, and also dissatisfaction a little bit with, with some of the concepts that are out there, uh, which are, <laughs> well, how, how can I say this, more intuitive and more, more uh, fuzzy around the edges. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and because, because I feel like, so the comparison I'm going to make is not going to hold 100%. And it's mm -hmm. a little bit exaggerated, but I, I, I make it to, so that you, you get the gist of, of what I have in mind here. So if you compare voice pedagogy to medicine, for instance. Sure. Okay. So uh, in most of, there is a saying, uh, medicine is the art of entertaining a patient while nature runs its course. That's, of course, not entirely true, but there is some truth to it. So the, the body is able to heal itself on a tremendous level. It's, it's really surprising. And, and that's why I would say uh, the, the lighter or less scientific aspects of medicine, we, we, I don't have the word in English there, but we in, in, in translated literally word by word from German, we would call it house medicine. So, sure. Okay. So what what do you have when you have we a flu? Would, you, uh, so it's sort or, of like um, like like uh, you'd either be talking about sort of um, the practical aspect of, of the practice of medicine rather than the research or, or rigorous science, or, or it even could be probably bedside manner. Um, I mean, sort of just the, the clinical experience of the practitioner maybe compared to, um, you know, actually basing something on, you know, something more rigorously empirical. Yes, yes, precisely. That's what I'm, that's what I'm getting at. And these things work in a certain percentage of the cases that are, that are being presented and that are not so heavy. And that's fair enough. 
So you don't have to go to a, a guy in intensive care who, who practices intensive care if you have a common cold. I mean, I, I'm aware that talking about these things is, is, is very loaded at these times. And, yeah, and, sure. And, and, and please don't get me wrong. Uh, but so, and uh, but my, going back to vocal pedagogy, it's, it's my same, it's a feeling that there is a bit of that out there. That, that we have our household uh, recipes that we apply and typically they work and if 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 they don't work well maybe we try something else and if, if the third thing we try doesn't work then maybe the, the person is not gifted or not talented and and I think that that always bugged me a little bit because I wanted to go to the bottom of this and, and understand uh, why is it not working and, yeah. and, and, and then if you go to if you go to medicine uh, like what happens first there is a what was there first the diagnosis is not the first thing that a doctor does mm -hmm. the first thing is the assessment of the case right on many levels, we talk to, uh, so, so, so the doctors talk to the patient, they, there is palpitation, there is measurements, so there is empirical sure. objective data. Mm -hmm. And then can they do the diagnosis then? No, they can't. Because they have to know models. They have mm -hmm. to have studied for years and years to understand all the things that the body could suffer from and how this could be uh, treated with. And only if you have, uh, like, if you have understood what the patient is presented, uh, presenting with, if you know the symptoms, and you know the models, you can put, pull these two together and you can arrive at an informed diagnosis. Oh, only man. Then. And Absolutely. Once you have the once you have the diagnosis, there is a prescription, and this is a causal uh, step by step process. And the description cannot be made without the diagnosis. It's very important. Now, and both the diagnosis and the the prescription is done by uh, so by, by by people who have uh, academic uh, uh, teaching have yeah. received that right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So and then once you have the prescription, then there is the therapy. Only then, again, it's yeah. causal. And once you have a therapy, and that could be physiotherapy or take, taking some medicine or, or whatnot, then it, there is another exam, actually. Right. And either, either the patient is healed or ran out of money or went to another doctor, uh, or, or it is a feedback loop, and then you make the new di diagnosis. Mm -hmm. And if you think of it, so most of this requires a lot of knowledge and a lot of insights. Mm -hmm. Now, let me, and I apologize to everyone for doing this, uh, and this is completely exaggerated, but I want to make a point here. Let's talk about the worst case uh, uh, scenario, the worst singing teacher in the world, and that might as well be me, okay? So, <laughs> Hardly, but so, okay. So... The worst, uh, worst singing teacher in the world does actually not do an objective assessment, because saying this, the voice, uh, the voice is not in the body. The voice is not connected to the body. The vo voice doesn't vibrate. Uh, well, uh, where is the body? It is in the body because it emerges from the larynx. So mm -hmm. you fail. The voice doesn't yeah. vibrate. No. Well, <laughs> what you probably mean is there, mm -hmm. there is no vibrato. Uh, the voice, the voice is. Well, the worst thing I heard about my own singing was when I was a young uh, kid, young student, was uh, your voice doesn't sound masculine enough. Uh -huh. that, is not, that is not an objective assessment. Right. Yeah. Because also the, it's, it's not something that I, could, that I could react upon. 
there's nothing I could do about it. What, what should I do? Drink lots of alcohol, buy, buy a fast car, uh, <laughs> talk a lot with women, and, and try to be successful there. Sorry, I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm Become James <laughs> Bond is basically what you're describing, yes. Uh, uh-huh. I'm, 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 this is, of course, uh, almost not political correct, but and, and I'm... Right. Uh, what is the word? Uh, forgive me, I'm not a, nat- a native English speaker. Uh, it's it's an image of something that you, you would do, but but it's on, along the lines of what the feedback was. Right. So if I took if I took this literally, this is not an objective assessment of my voice. Okay. So I'm again. I'm. I go back. I'm the worst uh, singing teacher on earth. I don't do objective assessment. Also, I don't know about the models. Yeah. And for that reason, I cannot arrive at a diagnosis, at a physiologically informed and acoustically informed diagnosis in my student. However, what I know is a lot of methods of exercises, and I know they work because they worked for me. And that's why I apply these exercises to all my students. And in most of them, it works. They work. So they're they're all successful. So... What that actually, if we would translate this to the medical world, uh, I would not be a doctor. I would maybe uh, be a, a guy who sells uh, a pharmaceutical product. Right. But that's it. I mean, and, and probably, uh, I don't know, it, it, uh, probably homeopathic pharmaceutical products at that. Things that are not actually, you know, uh, gone through the rigor of being actually having evidence to suggest that they work. Well, <laughs> one could go one step further and could say, no, not even homeopathic, because we know that homeopathic uh, products don't hurt the people. Uh, uh, That's true. Uh, 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 yeah. fine, fine point. Fine point. Touché. Right. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, I, and of course, I, I totally appreciate and, and understand that this is utterly exaggerating what yeah, I say sure, here in the picture. Sure. Mm-hmm. sure. But, I, I would say when I were, so I taught some 7,000 uh, singing lessons in my life on average. I wouldn't say, uh, I know there is many people out there who, who teach better than me or, and, and really know what they're doing. They have a fantastic understanding of what they do. But um, yeah, I, I'm not above, uh, even though I have this experience, I'm not above uh, applying this whole model to my teaching every time. Mm-hmm. So what what am I doing here? Do I even understand what is uh, why this is working? And I have to admit, and I know there is a few tricks I do. I know they work. I know precisely that they work, and I have no idea why. Yeah, and that's fair enough. I think that's fair enough. But it brings me to another point that is very important: that there is typically two levels of what we do. So when I go out there, when I, for instance, give a talk on stage and say, I am a teacher, I have a studio, and this is what I do, this is what works. So I give a master class, okay. let's say, a public master class. I am allowed to do that, I think, because, uh, because I am creating a reality that only pertains to my student at that moment. And, mm. and we could be talking about things that are not uh, right physically at all. For instance, if I find out, if <laughs> to, to, to bring you a very stupid example, uh, 
<laughs> if, if I realize that when I tell my, my student to lift their right arm, and then all of a sudden the voice sounds fantastic. <laughs> yep. Oh, but only for this particular student. Yep. Yeah. Then, this is true, and it works, because the student is happy, I'm happy, and the audience is happy, and this, the student gets paid more. So, so we can call it a success. So again, I'm very blunt here, and I'm very black and yeah, white, but sure. I, I hope you, you, you get the gist no, we of got what, it. What, what I mean. But does that mean that I can out, go out there and can say that rising your right arm works in a teaching situation? Obviously not. Yeah. And I think, I think this is what what quite a few people they're not aware of that distinction yeah they say this is what i do and therefore this might must be the truth yeah yeah yes absolutely i mean honestly you're sort of getting at um i was asked the other night what originally drew me to dawn in the first place and to voce vista and mm -hmm. it was and, and my response was well i didn't really know why i was doing what i was doing either as a singer or a singing teacher, but particularly as a singing teacher. I, I was doing these things that I had been told to do for some reason, and they seemed to work okay, but sometimes they wouldn't work okay. And that's sort of how I, how I, um, yeah, that's how, that was sort of my first uh, uh, interactions with Don Miller started. I mean, that, it was that, it was that I, I figured, oh, this guy seems like he could maybe tell me some things about, uh, about the singing voice and, and seems to have some evidence to go along with it. Um, speaking of, 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 our, of our dear um, colleague, Dr. Miller, you know, obviously a lot of his work, he wanted, um, he wanted sort of the message of, of, of EGG to move on, you know, and, and to, to continue. And I know you've obviously done some work, um, with EGG, you know, glottal configurations, uh, was with EGG. And then you, you wrote that piece and I can't remember if it was with Jan or not the comparing chalk with cheese piece where you guys <laughs> were comparing it to video comography, where sort of are you on the EGG measure as a measurement right now are we going to keep using it what is its actual validity what are we really looking at with it because we've talked about EGG a lot on the podcast before mm -hmm. so like yeah. so like wh wh what are your thoughts on that currently hmm. so uh, EGG is I think a super cool uh, methodology because it's non-invasive right mm -hmm. um so, so to, to enlarge a little bit on this, uh, so the first thing you do as a singing teacher is you look and listen uh, to your student. And uh, not only as a singing teacher, but also as a researcher. Interestingly, to open a sideline, I, I did a lot of, of bioacoustics uh, work in the last few years uh, mm -hmm. due to a job that I had and, and, and a grant okay. that I got. So basically, I was interested in what is the, what is the uh, voice production, uh, uh, the mechanism of voice, voice production in mammals. Is it the same as in humans or not? Okay. And okay. the interesting challenge, and I'm, I'm, I'm raising this because then we, we understand a little bit more where this thinking comes from. Uh, the interesting challenge is that you cannot scope really, you cannot easily in, uh, put oh. an endoscope <laughs> into an animal. 
Yeah. Seems reasonable. For several, yeah. For several reasons. <laughs> so, so, so therefore, there is there are literally no no in vivo uh, endoscopic recordings of mammals how they produce voice. We think they produce mm -hmm. voice like humans, and uh, well, I could show in with a couple of excess larynx uh, experiments with a couple of species that mm -hmm. that most likely is the case uh, from. Elephant to bat, so yeah. so, so, yeah. so so the entire the entire range of, of mammals from from uh, an animal weighing I don't know three four thousand kilograms to an animal weighing three grams. Right. Uh, and and we we humans are just one more data point there, which is uh, another cool thing. But I shouldn't I shouldn't digress. Uh, so. And early bioacoustics research and also early uh, vocal pedagogic research, they've had to focus on the acoustic output. Right. Alone. Right. So basically, the, you're focusing on the end product and you do not know anything about its production. Right. And, and about what the muscles in the body do, because in the end, it's, it's, it's a motor, motor, motor patterns that produce the sound. You have to learn something. You have to learn some movement, but it's hidden, it's inside the body, so it's very hard. So, and as a singing teacher, I think this is a very important distinction because you do not, or I think you should not control the acoustic output because that's the only the end product. What you, what you, I think you're, you could be much more productive if you understood which muscles, which subsystems in the body do what, and what of uh, what should they be doing? Is it to, are they doing the right thing? Mm -hmm. So, another black and white <laughs> huge exaggeration is uh, you could claim that seeing teach uh, uh, learning how to sing is not is not different, not much different than learning how to play golf. <laughs> Only or or, or or figure skating or or, or uh, some, yeah. some 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 uh, very some 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 sports that require very precise movements. I compare mm -hmm. it to golf do, all the time. Yeah. And you could do this in a stress situation without thinking about it. You have to automate them. That's right. the point here. It's, it's not only being able to do something, but being able to do something under stress. Mm -hmm. Right. Only that in playing golf or in figure skating, the target is different. It, the target happens to be acoustics in the singing voice. Right. Mm -hmm. So you have to understand about the physiology. You have to understand about the motor program uh, that is driving your sound production. And that you cannot get or you can only get in a very limited way from the acoustics. Mm. Mm. So therefore, we need to have a, a means of, of tapping, you can, like in engineering terms, well, you have some input, which is cognitive and which is neural, and then you have a black box that creates the sound, and then you have the output. And if you only go for the acoustics, you only can, can understand the behavior of the thing that you're trying to study from the output, and that's not, not enough. So you want to break open the box, and of course, for obvious reasons, sure. you can't do that. Can't do that so, yeah. so maybe we can tap it. So in my book, and this is a comparison that doesn't hold entirely, but still, uh, EGG is the EKG, the electrocardiogram of voice. Mm -hmm. Because if you okay. do an electrocardiogram, you don't have to open up the, the chest, the, the chest right. in order to, to understand the workings, the inner workings of your heart. Mm -hmm. And with EGG, okay, it's, technically it's, a, it's, a, it's 
uh, not precisely the same principle because it's in EGG it's active you actively put some current through uh, the larynx mm -hmm. but the idea is the same. So you can get an information, a limited information, and that's an important point, sure. about what the vocal folds do when they create sound, as they create sound. So uh, now, is, is how useful is EGG? And, and because that was implied in your question also, Nick. Yeah. Uh, we should always try to understand what EGG measures. That's, and what yeah, it measures mm -hmm. is the relative vocal fold contact area. It does, for instance, not measure glottal opening. It does not, and if it doesn't me measure the glottal opening, you cannot say, for instance, this is a closed quotient. Right. You might say, okay, this is, this is, I think, is it nitpicking? Is that a, a word in English? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Say? yeah, yeah. Nitpicking, yeah. Uh, but, uh, the, uh, so, I, I'm, I'm, I think it's very important to call it the counter quotient and not the close quotient for for uh, several reasons yeah. uh, or for, for, for one main reason. Imagine a very breathy uh, sound production, like ah, something like this. Mm -hmm. There is, we know this from endoscopy, there is no collision between the vocal folds. What does EGG measure? Vocal fold contact area. So there is basically no vocal, or, or uh, only a very tiny modulation of vocal fold contact area. And the signal you'll get is sinusoidal, more or less. Mm -hmm. And if you take a, uh, if, uh, if you apply a, a contact quotient calculation on a sinusoidal signal, you'll get, you'll get a contact quotient of 60%. Gotcha. And that's that's the reason why many st studies seem to produce very uh, interesting results as soon as they uh, include breathy voice, actually, yeah. because because uh, if you if you say contact quotient equals uh, closed quotient, you would say hey closed quotient sixty percent that's a very heavy chest register right. even mm -hmm. pressed almost pressed so right. so yeah. so you really have to understand what what this is measuring and what this is doing. Uh, if I may recommend, uh, I recently wrote uh, a monster of a paper, a review paper in Journal of Voice. Uh, it's called EGG, an update, I think, is the title, Journal of Voice 2019. I, I read a little bit more than a thousand papers and I cited 300 of them. Wow. Like uh, trying to really... Uh, yeah, well, that... <laughs> That's what you get to do if you work in science full time. Oh. <laughs> Don't you rather teach some students? <laughs> a lot of articles, yeah. <laughs> um, uh, but that's what, what other people uh, do too. So there, there's been a couple of wonderful review papers on EGG uh, some 25 years ago. Uh, for instance, by Ron Bacon. Mm -hmm, yeah. Uh, by Orlikoff is another one. And, and Colton, uh, I think, another one. I mention all of them, and I just try to give an update what has happened in the last 25 years. Sure. Where do we stand? Not only for singing, but for all kinds of uh, 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 fields of science, from linguistics, phonetics, uh, to animal bioacoustics, and even to trumpet playing. So they're, they're mm. using uh, EGG for, for assessing the lip contact yeah. in trumpet playing. Yeah. Okay. So, so a lot of the things that I'm touching upon, or I, I mentioned, or uh, briefly now, they are outlined in this paper. If if you wanna if you wanna read more about this, but uh, I, I mean, does that somehow answer the question? Where do I stand with EGG? Yeah, 
it, it, it does. I, I guess, so as a follow-up to that, just this is really more just for my own curiosity. Um, you know, so if we're really looking at contact area, is there any way with the EGG measurement to know whether that, con- sort of going back to your glottal configurations thing, is there any way to know whether that's more membranous or more cartilaginous, or are we just, you know, yeah. is, it, is, it, is, it, is it more depth or is it more midline closure? I mean, is there any way to know or not? Uh, yes and no, both. <clears throat> okay. And I think I think you 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 perfectly asked uh, the right question, Nick here, because we are not interested in a contact quotient for singing per se, because the contact quotient and other things are just a means to maybe help us interpret the data a little bit better. What we're in the end interested are is going back to what I said earlier. What are the motor control patterns in the in the uh, in the body? So how do we achieve certain sounds? And if we want to change a, a sound, how could we do this? Right. So the problem with EGG is this: that um, it is well, vocal fold vibration is a is a is a thing that happens in in, in three dimensions. So you have superior, inferior, inferior phase differences. You have anterior, posterior phase differences. Mm-hmm. And all of that is basically squeezed into one number that changes over time. And that is the relative vocal fold contact area. It's not even an absolute number because it's not calibrated. Sure. So, so it's very hard for us to tease out what is, what is uh, how does this movement of the vocal folds relate to the, the EGG signal that we get. Now enter another problem. Well, it's not a problem, it's actually beautiful because humans are very different. <laughs> And so we also have uh, a very different vocal fold morphology. Mm-hmm. And, and there is a huge variation if you would just take a contact quotient or, or, or any other parameter that you can get out of the EGG signal. And I've, I've actually shown this in, in one of my papers uh, in, the, in, the, in the 2011 JASA paper and also in, in the, in the chalk, chalk and cheese paper. If you have if you have a contact quotient of 40% in one person, this could be chest register. In another person, this could be falsetto register. Right. Mm-hmm. So there is, or, or say 35%, 30, 35%, maybe not 40. Sure. You, you don't get a falsetto with 40%, but you could get uh, all the way up to 35. So, so by just knowing this one parameter, you you wouldn't know enough. You would have to study this more. And uh, huh, this is. This is where I think that uh, another thing that I came up with is, is, is very useful, and that's EGG waveguns, if you okay. have heard of them. Yes, I'm looking forward to Bodo getting the wavegram version into Voce Vista Video Pro so that I can have that access as well. Yeah, is it, isn't it already there? Uh, or maybe I it is already, yes, I, that might be right. I just haven't played with it. I've been too busy teaching a school year. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Because and and we didn't we didn't follow this up, but we presented this in a workshop at last year's Wiz Foundation. Yeah, I remember actually. Uh, so, so and but but we didn't follow up then because then I got a new job and and, and all things all things life happens. Yeah, yes. life life happens precisely. And um, no, but the cool thing is if you can. So it's very hard to do in interperson. Uh, comparisons with EGG, mm-hmm. but it's it's super cool for intra-person comparisons. Yeah. So, for instance, uh, in in a person, you can if you if you let them do their most breathy 
falsetto production, for instance, and that's probably going to have any closure at all. And you can see this particularly in those wavegrams. So wavegram is a is a is a graphical representation not only of the contact quotient but of the entire EGG signal as it changes over time. Okay. It's kind of hard to explain. I uh, usually explain uh, it to people who haven't seen it. It sort of looks like an EGG spectrogram. I, it's sort of how I almost just describe the basic visual of it. So does it have color? Because I haven't seen this. Does it have like the color that you see with the spectrogram usually? Like you read it like that? Maybe for intensity? Mm, so hmm, the no. comparison with the spectrogram, well, it's a it's a graphical representation a, yeah. of of the signal. I think you, okay. can, you could leave it at that, and yeah, that, and, that's, and that's, the rest we would have to to have a graph up and and explain it. Yeah, uh, I could I mean I could explain this briefly what what is under uh, underneath it. So we we cut the EGG signal in individual cycles. Okay. And 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 take the so normalize this each cycle in 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 amplitude and in time, okay. and then color code the the relative amplitude of the EGG signal or its first derivative, and this is where it gets mathematical, right. uh, and and show this within the graph. But the cool thing is the first derivative is the rate of change. So peaks okay. in the first derivative are the portions within a glottal cycle where contact maximally increases and maximally decreases. Okay, that's... So if you, if you have... And that's also one approach how the EGG contact quotient is, is calculated. There are several approaches, yeah. but that's one of them. So because you assume if there is, when you have the maximum rate of change, uh, this is most probably where the walk faults get, come in contact. So when, and, and that's more or less related to the, to the acoustic event that sets up the sound. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And, 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 and then you have the moment where, where you have the, the maximum decrease of contact and this is then you could say this is the instant in time where, where you, you have the decontacting event so when the vocal mm -hmm. folds uh, or the glottis opens again if it were mm -hmm. closed which we don't know from EGG alone uh, yeah. and, and then you, you could say okay contact is over say 60% of the cycle so what that would be a contact quotient of 60% things like that and that you have and then you can can have changes of that like in a register break everything in one graph and and and, and, the, and that's the way that's the waveground that's a waveground, and the, that's really uh, cool. the, I think so. I was I was really excited when I when I when I found out that this how this works, mm -hmm. uh, and 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 really you you don't lose information of the signal, mm -hmm. and if you can calibrate this for one person, for instance, let's say you have you have a guy who who is sings with too much adduction in his passaggio. Mm -hmm. That's a typical thing, sure. what, what males do, young baritones or, or whatnot. Papageno. So, <laughs> right, precisely. <Yeah. laughs> why, why can't I hit that F? Yeah, because I think with way too much uh, posterior adduction. Yeah. So, so can, we, can we in real time show this and, and can, we, can we then uh, document how this is eased up? Or do the other, do the other uh, like... Uh, the other thing that is very obvious is, is uh, how do young females particularly, but also older ones, uh, uh, but, but, but I think this is a typical issue of, of young females, how, what do they do in their prima passaggio in the, in the, in the middle octave? Either they, they push up the chest register 
or they have a very very pretty falsetto uh, right. function but yeah. what what they should have is a like a as thin uh, as thinned out uh, as possible chest uh, function that then can gradually turn into an adducted falsetto mm-hmm. Right, yep. and these things you can really nicely see and, and document with, with EGG waveguns. And by the way, Voce Vista I think has the feature now. You can also go on the NCVS website. There is a technical memo written by Eric Hunter when he still was uh, with Ingo, uh, and they actually wrote a wrapper code of uh, like an application or that's said another word they turned my uh, python source code into an application that you, that you can run on your windows computer and you can actually create waveframes just like that just it's a little that. slow but it works oh i didn't know that i don't think i've played with that one i i, I didn't know that oh I, I'm, I'm glad to know that yeah oh, and it's free so it's cool oh that's nice oh i can I, point that to people i can point people to that i was gonna say that's nice because so much of this especially when you're not affiliated with a university you know cost comes into play because you're like for my individual studio do i get you know voce vista pro video pro with wavegrams and then of course you need the edg which personally i would get just to play with but if, if you're just teaching <laughs> and you're looking at this well you know like i'm sitting I, and i'm I like know. oh man i've never been so tempted to go buy an egg on in my life <laughs> but I, it is so tempting because i feel like this gives you such a com- a more complete picture. I won't say a complete picture because, you know. Yes, yes. Many, many other things come into play, but but it gives you a more complete picture. But, I mean, speaking about this, so if you if you can program, and have I mentioned that I encourage everyone to learn how to yes, program? Yes, you did. Mm-hmm. A little bit. I, I think I, I did that. Uh, <laughs> if you can program uh, on my website, there is the original uh, source code for creating waveguns. It's for free. You can download it. Okay. That's, that's the most direct thing. Okay. If you yeah. can program or you know somebody who can program in Python. If you can't, and if you want to get a free version, go to NCBS. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you if you have the money, uh, buy Bodo's uh, Vista Pro, and and you'll get the yes. waveground feature there as well. Indeed, and so many other options. So, um, just as a as a, I, I know obviously the um, the Nats National Conference has now gone to a virtual format. Are you still going to give an address, uh, a, a plenary session for us in a, in a virtual some kind of talk? Uh, I, I'm in, in contact with Alan about this. <laughs> okay. uh, I have suggested maybe in the in the virtual conference I'll uh, pick a lighter uh, 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 topic. Gotcha. I get that. I and, and 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 maybe there is a possibility of me coming over to the states uh, next year or, or whenever this is over and, and we mm-hmm. can actually meet again. Yeah. Because because this yeah the the the. the, the this is a heavy topic, I think, and it, I think it's best delivered live to in an person. audience. Absolutely, yeah. sure, 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 sure. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, well, uh, Christian, um, we are. Uh, first of all, I would like to say, as a transition, I adore your T-shirt that you are wearing. You have a I resistance is futile T-shirt with a re- with a circuit on it. Um, and I'm just is is that is, oh, is that a, is so, that a Star Trek reference as well for yourself or do you just like the shirt? No, it's 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 an absolutely nerdy uh, electronics jo- joke. Fantastic. Because you can see there is the resistor in zigzag, uh-huh. <laughs> and it's actually shorted out by this wire. 
So there is no resistance. If, if you have a resistor that is shorted out by just a, a wire, the resistor does not have an effect. So the so resistance is filled out. Um, it's also our, our a famous line from Star Trek The Next Generation oh, with, yes. with the yes, Borg. Yes, yeah, I know, but I am not the Borg. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a good transition though for us because vocal fry one of the things we try to do is demystify a little bit of everybody who's on the podcast do you have any any interests outside of voice you know that you would want to share with anybody you know we've had people list everything from the you know what what movie or tvs they what movies or tv they might be into to things like breeding tropical cool. fish um what sarah Someone, uh, someone said chopping wood one time. Chopping I'll wood, we had yeah, as one. Ironing, firewood. ironing was uh, was one. Recycling. Uh, yeah. 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 Oh um, no, uh, I don't chop wood <laughs> unless I have to with my with my uh, Swedish oven next door. Yeah. Uh, I can, I, I can uh, vouch for that. No, I like to walk and run. Uh huh. Okay. To, to, to get some air into my brain, I like to read science fiction novels. Love yeah, okay. do you have a favorite? But, uh, uh, oh, I, I like the the, 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 the the well the basic science ones. So not so much the ones where they where you have too many shootouts and, yeah. and, and like Star Trek like, but uh, like Arthur C. Clarke and and Asimov and and all the all the basics and and some newer okay. ones. Yeah. Okay. Uh, where they kind of try to to stay within uh, the boundary conditions that physics has given us in this universe. Yeah, unless they explicitly lift them, and then they play around with with precisely those effects. Sure. So you're not looking so much into because I think a lot of science fiction gets combined with fantasy, so, but you like the more pure science fiction. To a degree, if there yeah. is a, if there is a little bit of fantasy, I can take it. Yes, yeah. I mean, I, speaking of fantasy, I love the Lord of the Rings. It's 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 a fantastic novel. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, oh, yeah. and no movie can do it any any credit. I think. Sure. Uh, no, you can't. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And, and Not even your extended editions that you know you're sitting there for like two days watching them all. <laughs> Precisely, no, because you don't get it. Because the guy who who, who invented Lord of the Rings, Tolkien, he mm -hmm. created, and and I don't know, well, but 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 one can be aware of that. He created an, an entire methodology and an entire yeah. history of the world. He created languages, Language. a geography. There is there is a, there is an atlas There's of a that. There's whole history, yeah. Genealogy, uh, genealogic lines, and everything. It's uh, so basically everything that is written around the story is is equal fascinating I think mm -hmm. yeah I actually I'm a big Tolkien fan too and, and C.S. Lewis and I love actually the interactions between Tolkien and C.S. Lewis are one of my some of my favorite uh, interactions between the between those two writers um, but but definitely no, that's 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 awesome I will say just as a movie buff as well I enjoy reading read I mean I read those novels when I was young but I also enjoyed the movies, so no offense to anyone oh, who enjoyed yeah. both. I enjoyed no, both. No, I love. It's okay, I love vocal the fam. Too, but I also I do like the books. I always just like the books because there's something they're so in depth, and then you're also, I don't know. I feel like I am when I am reading the books, I'm in it. You know, I'm I'm in there living it. That's right. So. That's right. So one last thing. So where do you think we're going in terms of voice research moving forward? You know, the the sort of the next. 10, 20, 30 years, wh wh where, where are we headed? I mean, ho the real ho heavy question. Ho hopefully, <laughs> hopefully in a world that, that can get back to sort of moving around and such. Where are we, we headed? Hmm. 
where have we come from? Yeah. I think is, is, is an equally important question because sure. you can, I think, only answer both of them together. So I just wrote this as a, as a, as a little commentary in, in, in a German-speaking uh, journal. Uh, mm -hmm that it is so surprising to me that so many of the things that we as, uh, as pedagogues, and I, I deliberately say we now, uh, because sometimes I, I, I count myself also still as a, as a pedagogue, Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, that we apply or we start to apply <clears throat> concepts and, and theories that are decades old. Mm. Mm. So think of nonlinear interactions uh, between the source and the vocal tract. Mm -hmm. There is a paper by Flanagan dated 1968 with almost precisely that title. Oh. <laughs> so, so that paper, paper is older than me and probably you, Nick. Mm -hmm. uh, and most definitely you, Sarah. Yeah, <laughs> so, <laughs> it's a little before my time. <laughs> so so it's, it's an incredibly old uh, uh, concept. 50 years and 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 it's all vogue now and everybody's talking about it yeah. uh, but you could have talked about it when when uh, Rothenberg published his work in in in, in the 1970s because yeah. because this is fantastic work but of course it was hard to digest yeah. and so I don't blame anybody here I'm just saying it takes a long time until knowledge trickles down the line and gets applied in the studio yeah. or think of of are you are you guys aware of the passive restoration forces of of the pulmonary system and how important these are for uh, a port, uh, for 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 support and and, and breathing? Uh, uh, maybe passive no. So, uh, not initially. So the the idea is without going too much into detail because. Uh, uh, that might take too long, but the idea is, uh, how do you get to subglobal pressure? And of course, yeah, there is there is the breathing musculature, but there uh -huh. is much more than that, because because your pulmonary apparatus is a three-dimensional spring. It sure. has a resting position. Okay. So the further you deviate from from its resting position, let's say the more the more lung volume you have, yeah. the more uh, subglobal pressure you have for free. And you might even have too much subglobal pressure for free, so you might want to have you might have to engage an inhalatory uh, part of the musculature, mm -hmm. and particularly at the beginning of the phrase for being able to sing piano with a full tank, and 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 these things are surprisingly not understood by so many people, by so many teachers when when I when I bring them up. And guess who has written a fantastic summary about this topic in the Nats Bulletin in I think nineteen eighty six? Johann Sundberg. Johann Sundberg, precisely. So so if you, if we talk about modern voice science uh, I would say, uh, <laughs> and, and yeah, this is, this is challenging, of course, but I would say go and read the old literature because uh, a lot of it is there that you haven't seen. That's uh, a great word. That is a great word. Yeah. Yeah, yeah and, and, and we tend to reinvent the things that, that are already right out there. Then. For instance, did you know that, again, Johann Sundberg, he published his thing about first, uh, uh, first form and tuning in sopranos. He published this in 1970s. There, yeah. is, 
there is one nature paper. So na nature and science are the two two big journals where everybody wants to right. uh, to publish. Uh, mm -hmm. the, so that's the holy grail in in, in, in science, and only few people uh, achieve that. There is one paper in singing voice science that got into one of these papers. Uh, and it was a paper by an Australian group in 2006, I think, about precisely the same thing that Johan published uh, three decades earlier. Oh. <laughs> so, so, so I think that's an irony and it, it just proves the point. So we're, we're, I don't blame the Australian group. Yeah. These are fantastic. These are fantastic guys. Fantastic researchers. Uh, so Joe Wolf, he, he has made really, really super cool contributions to mm -hmm. the field. Yeah. So, so good for them. So this is this is not a criticism. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it is it, it. It's just interesting how things tend to re-emerge. Mm -hmm. And maybe that's also good. Think of Ingo's work about uh, about nonlinear interactions. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I just said it's 50 years old, but still we, we needed him and his contributions also to Absolutely. translate this a little bit more. So where do we go from here? I think it's a... Uh, this century, this millennium is, is, I think, full of fantastic challenges. We're by far not done. There is, yeah. there is so much to be done. And it's... I think the biggest challenge is is educating ourselves, yeah. because uh, it's not so much as regards topics. The topics will emerge yeah. as they are as they are needed, but um, it's in human nature to actually want to believe in things and want to have things simple. I think that's human nature, and and I say this yeah, uh, yes. with with a lot of love for humankind, particularly in these times. Yeah. But but in this, there are two dangers, and one is oversimplification, mm -hmm. and the other is the lack of doubt. Mm -hmm. And I want to say maybe two uh, two sentences to each, uh, or sure. maybe even five to each of these. So oversimplification. This is something. And I can, I dare talk about this because this is where I came from. I was first in my life exclusively a singing teacher and I told you I wanted to become Papageno. So I was there, I, I just wanted to make music. How do I care, why do I care about these uh, engineering concepts and, 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 and why should I study acoustics and, 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 and physics and, and electrical engineering in, in order to understand all these concepts. I want to have this simple and, and uh, this is where I came from. And, and I see so many people, uh, they want to have teachers, they want to have simple solutions. Yeah. So, what, so you oh, yes. explain, when I, oh, you explain a, a concept and, 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 and try to explain it as complex as needed, but as, but as simple as possible. Mm -hmm. and, and the people then, some, they would still say, okay, and, and what can I do? How can I do the one uh, oh, yes. uh, simple thing? And maybe there is not the one simple trick that you could do. And that goes back to yeah. physiological diagnosis based on models that you understand. Mm -hmm. And uh, so it's educating ourselves. And the other thing is the, the, the ref refusal to doubt. Mm -hmm. Now, if I'm a performer, I cannot allow a single doubt to come into my mind when I when I stand on stage. I just have mm -hmm. to whack it up. I have, I'm. <laughs> this is a, this may be a little bit of a side remark. As a performer, as a singer, I'm more like a politician than a scientist. <laughs> so okay. there there is no room for doubt. I have yes. to I yeah. have to convey the message. Yeah. As a scientist, 
I should be very doubtful because that doubt drives me and creates my questions. As a singing teacher, I'm in between mm. because I should hide all my doubt from my students and I should actually hide a lot of knowledge from my students because if I talk to them, if I teach them and I use these words like, oh, your, your I don't know, your lateral cricoritinoid was a little <laughs> too, too engaged. <laughs> you can come lose yeah, some I mean, You just killed the, <laughs> the mood of the lesson. and, and, and oh, it, yeah. it, 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 I mean, am I on the right track if he sings with too much adduction and, and too, too much glottal resistance so that the airflow is too low? Yes, precisely. Precisely. But, uh, but I have to understand this as a teacher and not my student. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And there is a distinction. So this kind of knowledge is for teachers and not for students. And it's also not for the teachers when they sing, because that could also drive you crazy uh, to a certain degree. Right. So, so most of the teachers, they came from being performers and they learned not to doubt, but to be there. And, and I really, if I could wish for one thing in our community, and maybe that's a, that's a good word to close this, is that people would really doubt a lot more if they would, oh. dare, they would dare to doubt. And mm -hmm. not because we don't trust people. That's not the point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But people could be wrong. Yes. Yes. Or they, they, they could be, and, and not because they are not good or, 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 or anything, but, but just because their information or their means, their methods were, were limited. Think of, think of the great uh, Jan Willem van den Berg, for instance, who really is one of the godfathers yeah. of, of, our, of voice science yep. and with his experiments in Groningen. And, where, and, and basically all the, all the guys doing excess larynx experiments, they are still mopping up <laughs> basically after van den Berg, all, right. the, all the, the things he instigated. But he was wrong on a couple of things because he, he had limited information, but that does not mean that he was not one of the greatest voice sciences, uh, scientists ever there absolutely but we it's our duty to doubt that's that's what i would say absolutely in a very, in a, in a yeah, very yeah. well-meaning way and, and, yeah. and for instance nick if you would present something uh, and 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 i would doubt your results and and if i fail to doubt i could say okay this is this is uh, this is good work but that doesn't mean that i doubt you as a person Yes, so like, you can't get offended. Well, when, and I think I think that, that that is such a great word to just sort of, you know, as, as we close here. I mean, I say this to voice teachers and I say it to anyone who's doing any kind of voice research that I've happened to mentor. I mean, Sarah, you've heard me say this. I mean, the mm -hmm. reason that we retested our project from last year is because I didn't believe the result we got. Because yes. I thought it was garbage. I thought, there's no way this is right. And so we're retesting it. Um, but mm -hmm. I say it to voice teachers all the time. I, I forget who I first heard say this. And so forgive me for not listing the reference. Whoever said this the first time. Probably many people have said some version of this. But I think when you become a, a good voice teacher, when you, start when you stop believing your own garbage that you've just been selling and as soon as you doubt yourself and start questioning not doubting but start questioning your methods you'll become a better voice teacher because mm -hmm. because you, then you're curious and then you're going to learn and and one of the things Ken Bozeman always says that I think is so admirable is 
he's always learned more from people who he first thought he disagreed with than people that he actually agreed with. Disagreed. And I think that's a beautiful, beautiful sentiment. Um, so, Chris John, thank you so much for taking time yes. here while we're all still under lockdown. Um, yes. And uh, obviously, we wish you and yours good health um, mm-hmm. and, and safety in yeah. these times. And um, hopefully, you know, maybe Voice Foundation 2021 will happen or something, and we'll see each other there. <laughs> I'm very much looking Fingers forward crossed. to this. Yeah, Sarah, Nick, thank you so much for having me. This was a yes. wonderful hour. Uh, oh, it was our pleasure. It was great. Our pleasure. It was, again, great to meet you, virtually meet you. Um, I, 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 didn't, I didn't have a chance to introduce you to her last spring because um, we were so busy when we were at Voice Foundation. So my apologies, Sarah, that we didn't get around to that. Okay. <laughs> I think everybody was just sort of running around at, at that. Well, yeah. Come. That was my impression, That's generally. Right. Yeah, we'll do this properly next year. I, I, yes. I, absolutely. All right. I'm, I'm going to stop this. Christian, thank you so much. Yeah, uh, hold on, hold on for a just pleasure. a second. And uh, Vocal Fam, we are out. I hope you enjoyed it. Peace.